1: We are back with another edition of the Blue Gold Report podcast being brought to you by our good friends over at D.O. McCombs and Sons Funeral Homes. I am Mike Rags, Todd Burledge across from me. We're going to talk a lot about the women's basketball team on the verge again now for an Elite Eight and hopefully a Final Four berth. And of course, we'll talk some hockey as well. And what would a Blue Gold Report be, Todd Burledge, without football? You always got to throw in some football, so uh, we'll get to that as well as spring. Practices uh, continue rolling along, and we're not that far off from the Blue Gold game, uh, just a few weeks away. Todd Burlidge, the lead writer over at Blue Gold Illustrated for all things Notre Dame. Todd, how are you? Doing
2: well, right? Yourself?
1: Now you say you got to, You're getting into a little close practice action over there. What what stories you working on? Can you can you leak anything? What are you doing? Uh,
2: yeah, it's going to be for the Blue and Gold Illustrated yearbook, um, which is a wonderful publication we put out every year. Um, a couple hundred pages really breaks down the receiving so, core and, player profile kind of thing. Yeah, everything. Position breakdowns, player profiles. I'm going to do one on Chris Fink and just kind of the journey it takes to do become go from walk-on to potential captain. Uh, pretty interesting cat there. Chase Claypool, he's been an interesting guy. Uh, his sister committed suicide. He's kind of devoted a lot of his efforts when it comes to making the NFL and his time here at Notre Dame to her. Um, and then when you look at the bookends and, and Kaleem Kareem and, um, and Okwara... It's probably the best tandem of defensive ends that Notre Dame may have had since Willie Fry and Ross Brawner. Browner. Oh, wow. So uh, those are those are three of a few I'm working on that uh, kind of jump out at me as far as player profiles and whatnot.
1: And as we've been rolling along here, we've been doing uh, breakdowns of positions. We'll get to the running back position, um, which was a perceived strength last year, and uh, we'll see what happens this year. Uh, but uh, before we do anything else... You know what we got to do first. That's Blue Gold Nuggets. What do you got for us Yeah, uh,
2: Three-pack. A little soft this week, Brags. There wasn't a lot of breaking news here or sort of interesting news, so I kind of uh, cheated a little bit and pulled some stuff off of some of the talking <laughs> points uh, just to fill this segment here. Um, we've been really kind of focusing on the linebackers, and rightfully so, because it's such a fluid position for Notre Dame. You have basically one guy... Uh, that has started in any game, and that's Asmar Bilal, uh, the graduate senior here. And he's kind of riding the He's out there playing Rover some practices. He's playing both the inside positions at linebacker some practices. There's eight other guys, but we don't know anything about him, so it's become a mix-and-match thing. Well, apparently Brian Kelly, I don't know if he's not satisfied or if he's just going to really throw all the dice in the cup and shake them around because Paul Moola, he moved this sophomore from safety, and he's going to throw him into that linebacker mix as well. So that, that was a little bit of a surprise, but he's working at Rover here, so we'll have to see how that goes. Maybe they brought him in to push Shane Simon a little bit. But again, and come you know, once June hits, summer school hits, three true freshmen at this position come in, and then the return of a couple guys who have been injured, Jack Kaiser and Drew White. So we are not going to get many good answers on the linebacker position, probably to well into fall camp. Uh, Mike Bray, he was in studio with CBS uh, as as we speak. Actually, Um, he's working as kind of obviously a color commentary there in studio in Atlanta, uh, alongside Ernie Johnson and the gang. He's always really good in that role. You know, when he gets a chance to do it, I'm sure that Mike Bray would rather be doing other things this time of year than sitting in a television studio. But when you go uh, 13 and 19 overall and three and 15 in ACC, I suppose you take what you can get. Uh, Do do you think he roots for like? Duke North Carolina sure. he, he so he you
1: want he thinks he, you he wants the ACC to win no matter Absolutely, what Absolutely yeah oh yeah he'll, now, he'll, who do you, he'll probably answer that Well he's got coach K too so he's always going to root for Duke I mean more than anybody else I would think
2: right yeah, I would think so. So There's Duke, North Central Carolina, d- does he paint his face? like? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> right. Half <and> half. <laughs> That's a good question, actually. Yeah, but certainly he will always root for his conference in every game. And, you know, rightfully so. The more you can build your profile, the more bids you get. And perhaps that helps Notre Dame up the line. So, yeah, he's always been very loyal to the conference. I have a feeling, though, if it came uh, Coach K versus Roy Williams, Coach K would probably get the nod, just maybe not publicly from Mike Bray. Moving on to a little women's hoops. This probably could have this This actually feeds into the women hoops uh, larger segment. But if you remember a couple weeks ago, Rags Enrique she dumped Skylar Diggins and as all time Notre Dame point scorer. Well, Brianna Turner dumped Ruth Riley against Michigan State as far as record rebounder at Notre Dame. Her eleven boards against the Spartans uh, brought her to one thousand ten total for her career. And that broke Riley's record of 1,007. And they don't get any more legendary than Ruth Riley around here at Notre Dame. So, uh, as the Irish move on now to Chicago in the Sweet 16, they have the all time leading scorer in their group, the all time leading rebounder in their group. And I have a really interesting side nugget when we start diving into this women's hoops on just how wonderful this. Five pack of starters has been for the Irish. So let me ask you this, then.
1: If we're building a Mount Rushmore of women's basketball, and I did not prep Todd for this question since he brought up the legendary players that they've had to Ruth Riley, Skylar Diggins, Erica Ogumbawale, who would be the fourth?
2: Who? Boy, without you could put Muffet's face up there too. You might yeah, as well. You may want to I mean, think could about that. that. I don't. Boy, I don't know if Bree Turner. You know what? Without looking at some of the history of this, I mean, Jewel Lloyd was wonderful, but she left a year early. If Jackie Young comes back next uh, year, that was what I was thinking too. She could certainly be yeah. there. We'll have to wait and see if she decides to come well, back. You got to put Muffet, the face of the, the program, on. So, so there you so go. Let's do that. You bailed me we're, out there. We're kind of cheating a little. Yeah,
1: right. By the way, to tease ahead, they're not the only ones playing postseason. Uh, sports, uh, the hockey team heading to the Northeast Regional. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, but the women, uh, Todd, I don't want to say easy peasy lemon squeezy, but uh, they're in the Sweet 16 and easy
2: peasy lemon squeezy. <laughs> yeah, for the 10th straight season, they're in said Sweet 16. Let's back up a little bit and talk about how they got their rags with that nice win, uh, the ninety-one sixty-three win over Michigan State. That was on Monday night. A little hairy. It was 8-8 for quite a while. Yeah. And, you know, Notre Dame wasn't playing particularly well. I think settling for a few too many three-point shots. But once they started going inside, I believe they outscored them in the paint, 52-24. to And I actually, for the Associated Press, I covered that first game, that Central Michigan game versus Michigan State game. And I thought, boy, this Michigan State team's really good. But you watch Notre Dame play. They, yeah. That, that, that five-pack of starters are just unbelievable. I'm still going to sit on that little stat I have for you. But Jackie Young, she was fabulous. In the first quarter alone in that game, Nine points, four rebounds, two assists. And actually, she had a a couple players miss a couple layups on her assist. You know, we were even talking about, hell, she might have a triple-double at halftime here. She ended up finishing with uh, 21 points, 11 rebounds, and seven assists. Let's see, she was one of two players with a double-double. Brie Turner had 14 points, 11 rebounds. Uh, Rike had 23 points. That was a game high. And uh, Jess Shepard, she r- barely missed a double-double, 19 points and nine, nine rebounds. Rags, this game was really won in the second quarter during a six-minute span when Notre Dame outscored Michigan State 19-1. to And including in that 19-1 to run was a 14 nothing run, and it was over from wow. that point on. And actually, Muffet talks about how important that, that particular run was for Notre Dame.
1: Well, I think our transition game got going. We were rebounding really well. We were able to get out and, and get in transition. I thought we were looking inside a little bit more. Um, I thought the post had a little more of an advantage, and we didn't take advantage of it. We were shooting a few too many threes, so I think we, we settled into some offense where we wanted to get the ball in the paint, and even the guards were getting in inside. So um, I, I thought our shot selection got better. Our defense got better. Um Sorry about that. I, I caught off guard. These these uh, clips are short and sweet, like you said. You weren't lying. I um, warned you, Rags. I uh, warned you. By the way, uh, they've reached nine elite eights. This is, I believe, was it sixteen now for Muffet? The Sweet Sixteens and ten in a row.
2: Yeah, ten in a row.
1: Um, they're eight and one in Elite Eight games, and that is pretty impressive. In fact, that's the best out of anybody that's gone there uh, a certain amount of time. They've been there at least five times. They have the best winning percentage. So uh, if they get there, they usually win it. They just got to get there.
2: You know what else is the best of all time, actually, in all of women's college basketball history? Learn me. Check this out. Okay, we talked about the starting five, Bree Turner, Marina Mabry, Arike, Jackie Young, Jess Shepard. These five players have combined for 9,905 career points. Wow. And counting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they're obviously going to eclipse, or obviously say more than likely, they're going to eclipse the 10,000-point mark. That's never been done in women's college basketball. And I bring this up because I think it's important to celebrate this class. Obviously, Jackie Young still has eligibility remaining. The other four girls don't. We'll have to wait to see what she decides. Um, but it, this particular game against Michigan State was the seniors' last game at Purcell Pavilion. So we had a chance. This is kind of a combo clip here. Arike talks about her feelings first, about her it being her last home game, and then Bree Turner follows up uh, with her giving her feelings on her last game at Purcell.
0: To win in that fashion, and you know, for the seniors, our last home game here, but even for the season, the last home game of the season, I think that's really nice, especially going into Chicago. You know, some good teams out there, and our first game is I mean, our game is really tough, and you know, we got to take it day by day, but especially just to get a win like that and go into this week with practice, knowing that we really played well, that's good for us. I think it's very exciting to
1: have our last on my hero. I mean, we have the best fans in the country. And luckily, we have the C16 in Chicago. So we know they're going to all travel there. And we're going to see a sea of green in the stands. Um, and just like the past few years,
0: they've just been so consistent supporting us. And it's just been really exciting to play here.
1: Excellent points. I mean, they're going to have home court advantage, sure. no doubt about it. And I believe it's Stanford and Missouri in the other side of that bracket. Missouri, so
2: Missouri State. They're kind, Missouri of up, State yeah, yes. they're kind of an upset team. They're an 11 seed. Stanford is the two seed. And it's at that beautiful Wind Trust Arena, yeah. uh, the new one they built for DePaul, right there in downtown Chicago. So it's not at the United Center like a lot of people have thought it would be, which, no biggie, I mean, uh, certainly in the year it's not any kind of downgrade, but I think most people were just mistaken that it was at the UC. But that will be at Wind Trust Arena there. 4 p.m. Saturday, um, the Chicago Regional, obviously, against Texas A&M, this team that was 26-7. and Nordame actually played him in the sweet sixteen last year as well, Rags, and had a bit of a tussle. Beat him ninety to eighty four. So it wasn't your traditional blowout you're used to used to see. And Muffet said she's a little bit she felt like Texas AM overachieved this year because they only have, I think she said one maybe two one and a half returning starters here. Um they've won the Aggies have won seven of eight. Uh, Notre Dame is 111 straight, and you mentioned it already, Rags. Uh, the winner of this game will play the winner of Missouri State and Stanford, and that would be on Monday night. So, uh, 9 o'clock, it would be a later game, 8 o'clock Central. Um, cer- certainly a game Notre Dame should win, and it would, it would be a monumental upset if they don't. But uh, again, a little bit of an ornery opponent last year out in Spokane. Uh, Notre Dame squeaking out a six point win.
1: All right, so uh, the women's are in good shape. We'll get to the hockey team here in a second. Let's turn our attention to football as things progress here. You're talking about, like I said, you're going to the practices here. Um, Kind of business as usual here. You know, I'm trying to hear some different sound clips, and so am I. And and, and, (laughs) you know, conditioning isn't even being brought up. It's kind of just like lame.
2: (laughs) It, It really, you know, and. I think Brian Kelly since he's opening all these practices is just kind of leaving it up to you guys figure it out. You 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 said don't you don't need me to talk about it so much cuz really his answers to things have been a little bit out there. He's not, you know, not offering a lot of specifics and you know we keep asking him about the same positions that are very fluid, sure. and so what's he going to say? He can't really freshen it up, because I think in a lot of these cases, he doesn't even know. And this is a rare occasion where the quarterback is actually going to be the same as well. Yeah,
1: right. Knock yeah. on for Micah, but that—I mean, so <laughs> even that is less of a storyline than it normally is. And
2: that's usually the prime— Sure. That's usually the prime storyline. You make a great point there, Rags, but— uh he was talking about how he's really piling on these guys and really, you know. And you know what? Why, let's pop in this clip because I found this one kind of interesting about just how he's really pushing these guys. He said harder than maybe any time in his entire college coaching career, not just at Notre Dame.
0: It's good. I mean, I, the guys are. You know, they're working hard in the weight room. They continue to, to, to really want to do the right things. And our standard is pretty high here. You know, they, they're they here to win, you know, uh, a, a championship. So um, I like the pace. Uh, we had a tough day today. This is probably as, uh, from from my putting together schedules for 29 years, this was as much work as we've had in the spring practice that I can remember. And they handled the, the, the load pretty good. So uh, it's good. Um, we got to. You know, a lot of work to do before we open up, but um, you know, I like I like the pathfinder.
1: He seems very laid back and uh, in control of his emotions here, Todd. Uh, I, I, it's, it's March. It's very early. <laughs> it's very, very early. Um, but let, let's break down one of these positions that always seems to be in the forefront here, Todd. And somebody always seems to emerge out of nowhere <laughs> yeah. to become a running back. And then the, the, the main running back, what's going to happen this year?
2: And I think that's what we're up against this year. You know, I don't think anybody saw Josh Adams coming on like he did in 17. Certainly we thought Dexter Williams might be able to last year. Um, But to do what he did, I think, was a little bit of a surprise as well, especially after being suspended the first uh, four games of last season. Those guys were so good together. Uh, Let me find it here. They were pretty remarkable. And when you look at Adams in 17 and Williams uh, last year in 18, these two guys combined averaged 6.2 yards. I'm sorry, 6.7 yards per carry. How impressive is that over two years with two different running backs? New running backs coach Lance Taylor. He's a lot of charges in front of him, a lot of challenges for that matter as well, um, trying to replace these two guys and keep the ball rolling with really kind of an unproven group. I suppose you go right to Tony Jones, and I'm going to play a clip from Brian Kelly here in a little bit talking about how it was important to get a consistent Tony Jones. Brian Kelly said, man, one day at practice, had looked great, the next he'd be down, felt the same way about games. So you have Tony Jones... He started great in sort of, you know, filling in quite a bit for Williams during those first four Mm -hmm. games. He and Jafar Armstrong were really uh, kind of uh, at the helm for doing that. Jones was actually on pace for 1140 total yards uh, through those first four games, averaging 6.2 yards a carry. Jafar Armstrong, you remember, he was red hot rags during that uh, that downtime for Williams. He was on pace for uh, 1079 total yards and 16 touchdowns. Um, he ends up finishing, he is a converted wide receiver, ended up finishing the season uh, with 383 rushing yards and 159 receiving yards. Not too shabby, seven TDs. Uh, but once Williams came back and then Armstrong had that weird, funky sort of in knee infection thing that he was fighting, his production obviously slipped. So we'll have to see what goes on here. And Brian Kelly, he says he's got a lot of moving parts and a lot of diverse parts but he, when we ask him about the running backs, he always comes back to one guy, and that's Tony Jones Jr.
0: We've been pleased, I think, in particular with, with Tony Jones' consistency. I think a, a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, getting a, a, a good rotation there, because you're not going to just play one guy. And I think they complement each other well. As we know, Jafar can play receiver, catches the ball extremely well. Tony certainly does as well, but... You know, we were looking for that, you know, that every down consistency from Tony, and we're getting that from the spring. I think he's having Just a really me good up. spring. And it kind of gives you that really quick, elusive quickness at that position as well. So, I think we're seeing, um, uh, you know, some real diversity at the position. Pretty pleased with with what we've seen early on. The biggest thing there is, is getting the consistency from Tony. We got an A-plus Tony one day and a C-plus Tony. We're, get, we're getting a consistent Tony every single day, and that's good for him. You know, when you listen to Brian Kelly, Armstrong has to prove he can stay
2: healthy. That's going to be the main thing and continue to sort of improve and evolve as a runner and not just a receiver. And, and Jones, like, like Brian Kelly just said, he needs to make sure and be there every day and consistent. Now those were some of the same gripes when we're talking about Jones that we had on Dexter Williams last year. He certainly rose to that challenge, and all systems seem to be go that Tony Jones Jr. is doing the same thing. Uh, you know, you have your favorite guy, SIBO Flemister, sophomore, <laughs> Jameer Smith, floating around out there. And he you know, and and Brian Kelly mentioned uh Kyron Williams. This cat rushed for thirty nine hundred yards of and twenty seven twenty seven rece- hundred receiving yards. During his prep career, so what is that? That is uh, 4,000 and then another 20. That's it's it's almost seven thousand total yards. And Four star running back, yeah, it, um, out of St. Louis, right? Um, he,
1: um, by the way, what worries me a little bit, you know, he talked about receiving, um, with the running backs. Of all the running backs that come back, they only have all of them combined twenty six total receptions. So, you know, one of the safety valves mm-hmm. for Ian Book would be the running back out of the backfield. Somebody needs to emerge with doing that.
2: I think they have the the skill set to do it, Rags. And I'm that that number you just threw out there very very much surprised. Me mm-hmm. to be honest with you, when you're talking yeah, about a Jafar convert-
1: has 14 receptions and now he leads all the other yeah, running backs.
2: You know, when you're talking about a converted wide receiver in Armstrong, mm-hmm. and, and then obviously Tony Jones Jr. Is, is equipped to catch the ball, Um you're right. And Brian Kelly also talked about how they're really going to get their tight ends more involved, so it's going to give Ian Book more bailout situations. I don't know if I'm necessarily thrilled with that because I want to see him move the ball downfield a little bit sure. more, but that's another story for another show. Let me just give you a little, a couple other things real quick on these running backs before we move forward here. Mention Josh Adams, okay? Uh, with Josh Adams, Mike McGlinchey, and Quinton Nelson in 2017, Notre Dame averaged 269.5 rushing yards per game. That was seventh best in the country and the best ranking, national ranking for Notre Dame, all the way back to 1995. So that was really a benchmark year for Brian Kelly. It was obviously his best year for going back to 95. It was a benchmark year for Notre Dame rushers. Perhaps, expectedly, that slipped quite a bit. I don't know that any of us expected it to slip quite as much as it did, but last year the Irish averaged only 182.6 yards per game which was 87 yards fewer than the previous year and it ranked 51st nationally. And that's a little bit more in line with what we've seen Brian Kelly's teams do, sort of that 50-40 range. And frankly, that's not going to be acceptable. We'll have to wait and see how that shakes out. The one thing this group does not do is turn the ball over. This was an interesting stat I pulled from Blue Gold Illustrated here. Three straight seasons. Three straight seasons the Notre Dame running backs have not lost a fumble. That's pretty wow, impressive. That's pretty good, yeah. yeah, the last lost fumble for an Irish running back was Josh Adams, November twenty first of two thousand fifteen. So that at least they take care of the ball. Uh, that's for sure. And again, that was more of a that, that was very much a function of Autry Denson yeah. because he wasn't a big fumbler when he played here. We'll see if Lance Taylor uh, pays equal attention to detail when it comes to taking care of the football. But certainly another position worth mentioning because there are a lot of uncertainties here Rex. Well, and then there's the old
1: age old argument. You keep building the offensive line like you do anyway, you could put, you know, me back there and you'll do just fine. So, we'll mm, see what happens. Oh, that's well, not, well, all right, man. Maybe not, I might be exaggerating a little bit. Not much. <laughs> All right, so full disclosure, and we always talk about this, we record the podcasts on uh, Friday, and uh, Saturday morning, we run on WoWo 1190 and 107.5, uh, I'm sorry, and and 100.9 FM, and, um, and and part of the problem is, sometimes Friday nights, there's events, and one of the events is uh, the, the Frozen Four gets underway, and uh, Notre Dame Hockey... Are playing tonight. So, full disclosure, we'll talk a little bit about hockey and what they've done, but we won't know the results, obviously, if you're listening on Saturday morning.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, we'll have to look more back than we can forward because, indeed, um, Notre Dame plays, played. If you listen to it quickly on the podcast, they play tonight as a number three seed in the Northeast region in Manchester, New Hampshire. The number three Irish play number two Clarkston. Clarkston. Is in Kelly Clarkson, not Clarkson. <laughs> Clarkson, yes, yes, Clarkson. That is a six thirty p.m. Friday game on ESPNU. Uh, the winner will play. If Notre Dame gets through this, uh, will play. Uh, the winner of that game will play the winner of number one seeded Massachusetts and number four Harvard, and that will be a Saturday six thirty p.m. game on ESPNU as well. Notre Dame, looking back now. Notre Dame wrapped up in two tries. It now is twice the Big Ten tourney champions with a 3-2 win over Penn State here at Purcell Pavilion. Uh, Cam Morrison scored the game winner in the second period. Uh, the, the, the two teams went a scoreless third. Kale uh, Morris, I'll get more to him in a second. He was 12-for-12 12 12 on stops in that third period. Um, again, the final score is 3-2. Notre Dame was outplayed and outshot in this game, Rags. They were outshot 48-29. to But with the job Cale Morris did during this tournament. As always. Wow, it was crazy. So Cale Morris walks away with a 0.75 goals per game average in this tournament, a 0.977 save percentage in this tournament. He stopped 126 of 129 shots in the the Big Ten tournament. And not surprisingly, he was named most outstanding player um, because of his efforts. Uh, It was a sellout crowd. 5988 at family Compton Ice Arena which is the number one attendance all time and I thought I thought it was notable, but certainly coach Jeff Jackson did not think it was notable. <laughs> it was his 500th career win as a coach yeah. okay so uh tried to press him on a little bit get him to celebrate himself a little bit yeah that, that exercise is futile. I heard something about it early in the week, and I didn't even think about it until after until somebody said something afterwards. Um, you know, I've I've talked about that before uh, with Lefty's uh, record, and you know, to me it's it's all it's all about these moments. You know, it's all about these special moments. That's why you do it. Um, and, and just why you know, just for me, the greatest part of the whole thing is watching the kids. You know, watching them celebrate. I I hate watching them. You know. Uh, lose in these situations you know it's uh, it's heartbreaking and you know but on the other side of it these moments are what it's all worth and you know out of those 500 wins that have been supported by a lot of great coaches and great players and you know it's kind of an insignificant number for me he calls it insignificant us here in irishville call it very significant he's obviously the all-time winningest hockey coach in notre dame history playing its best hockey. He knows how to get him to peak at the mm-hmm. right time, you know. He's gotten really good at that because actually the Irish are now they're in their fourth straight NCAA tournament appearance. It's a 16 team tournament, so even that's saying something. And he's looking for a third straight Frozen Four appearance for his Irish. The uh, Notre Dame is 22 wins, 13 losses, three ties. Clarkson 26 wins, 10 losses, two ties. Seedings are important in a lot of sports, rags. When it comes to these postseason tournaments, I think basketball, obviously, that's that that makes a huge difference. Sure, I've never, be it NHL playoffs, be it this Frozen Four tournament, whatever the case may be, I don't put a lot of stock or interest in seedings. Sure, you saw it happen in the in the Big Ten tournament. Sure, when number one Ohio State got bumped in its first game, so I don't really seedings mean very little because hot goalies. You know, opportunistic puck bounces, whatever the case may be, can change the complexion in what's bound to be a low-scoring game. So, I think Notre Dame has as good of a chance as any team in this tournament of getting to the Frozen Four again.
1: And you mentioned it: four straight NCAA appearances. Uh, there's three other schools. You might know this because you've looked up the stat. Well, I'm gonna. This is where I seem smart, but I have the stats in front of me that have the longest streaks. There's three schools, obviously, that have better streaks than they do. All right. Can you name uh, name? One of them, Minnesota.
2: Minnesota Duluth is five. Is Minnesota just Minnesota? One no, of them? no. Minnesota Duluth is five. Um, One's twelve. That's the most. Oh, uh, it's the one that they always. Uh, <laughs> it's hard. It, I mean, Denver, it, is, Denver Denver's yeah, got actually, twelve. And, I, I should have known that. And Providence has uh, six. I should have known Denver. That yeah. was that was uh, foolish of me not well, to know. Well, at twelve,
1: Denver. I think you could say perennial. Yes, you NCAA can. appearances. I mean,
2: absolutely, you can.
1: All right, we'll get you up to date on what happens with that team next time we talk, which will be next Friday. So, good luck to all people playing postseason games, and good luck to Coach Bray as he gets on TV. <laughs> <laughs> right? We miss you. We wish you were here. Trust me, we wish you were here. All right, we'll do it all over again next week, Todd. Uh, as always, the Blue Gold Report brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Uh, and uh, if you're listening on ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM, uh, have a good day as well. Have a good weekend, Todd.
0: I will, You too, man. This has been a presentation of Opt In Productions.